Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Fiction. Science fiction. Horror. Fantasy, crime, LGBT, thriller. You have now entered the House of Mystery. With your hosts, Eric Shapiro, David North Martino, John Copenhaver. And our word on KCB 106.5 FM Los Angeles, 102.3 FM Riverside, and 1050 AM Palm Springs. Is um, author and uh, I believe professor. I don't have much stats on him here. Yeah, he's professor of legal studies and business ethics at Wharton School, University of Pennsylvania. Kevin Warbeck. Thank you for being here, Kevin. Thank you for having me. Wow. So now your book, The Blockchain and the New Architecture of Trust, Information Policy. Now, uh, that's a hot subject, um, you know, with Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies and all the stuff going on. Um, but from my point of view and from being around a lot of people, most people still don't know what 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 this whole thing is, like what a blockchain is. Absolutely, that's what's striking about this phenomenon: the disconnect between how much activity there is, how many startups there are, and developers that are excited about this, how much trading activity there already is in these cryptocurrencies, how many big established companies are working on blockchain technology, how many governments are looking at this on the one hand, and then the degree to which so many people just look at this and, and say, I, I don't get it, I just don't understand what's going on. So that's a big challenge. And uh, at some level, it is a technology that is somewhat confusing to understand, but the, the basics are really fairly straightforward. Um, Blockchain is a decentralized ledger. It's a way of keeping track of information. It's kind of like a database, except it's decentralized. So there's no one who's in control of the information. And uh, so that allows for 
exchange of value. You can send things between people or organizations on these networks without any central intermediaries. So the first implementation was Bitcoin, which is a cryptocurrency. Bitcoin is like money. And because of this technology, it's possible to send Bitcoin from one person to another person. There's no bank in the middle. There's no government that issues the Bitcoin. There's just a bunch of people running these computers on a network, running the software. And yet you can still trust in the integrity of that transaction. You can be confident that if you got a certain number of Bitcoin, that it's like you got that amount of dollars, that it actually has its value. Um, so that's what this blockchain technology allows for. But once it's possible to do that for money, it's possible to do that for anything that involves exchange of value, which is why so many organizations are getting interested in it. Uh, but th I think that's the um, that's the the trick part is when you say there's no there, there, there's no central bank, and and you trust that it'll be there. How how can we trust? Like you know, if I if I've given given some American money, U.S. currency. I can trust to go into a U.S. bank, and and it's it's valued, it's backed by the bank. Who is someone like uh, Bitcoin backed by? So it's not backed by anything. That's that's what's so extraordinary. So the question is, why would the bank take your money if you show up at a bank with these sort of scruffed green paper bills? Why would a bank think that that's valuable? Um, the bank's not the one issuing the money. The, the bank will take it as valuable because they think that it's valuable in exchange with someone else. And they know ultimately there's a whole economy there where people trust in the currency. And standing behind it is the United States government. So there's trust that the United States government has a monetary policy through the Federal Reserve. It issues currency at a certain rate. It's going to manage that currency. Um, Bitcoin does that through software. It has a set of rules that are in the Bitcoin software, which is just open source software that anyone can run. But it creates an environment that ensures that all the transactions get verified accurately. The, the blockchain is actually the history. It's the ledger of transactions. And so what the Bitcoin software does is it gives confidence to everyone that if the ledger says this money went from here to there, that it's virtually impossible for someone to go in and change that. There's no one who has the power to actually say, no, that Bitcoin didn't go to you, it went to me. Um, that's because of the strength of cryptography, which is the mathematical information security, but it's also the structure of the network where thousands of computers around the world, in the case of Bitcoin, are using massive amounts of processing power to validate and verify those transactions on the network. So it's a different form of trust. But it's a trust that's proven incredibly robust. So the price of, of Bitcoin and these cryptocurrencies has been incredibly volatile and gone up and down for a bunch of reasons we can get into if you want. But the extraordinary thing is that the price of Bitcoin is more than zero. And no one in 10 years since it really became a viable uh, currency has been able to undermine the basic security of the network. It's, it's a $100 billion bank vault. Every criminal in the world has been trying to crack it, and none of them have been able to. So what what so is the bitcoin sort of like a stock market where you essentially buy some bitcoin and then hope that the value goes up or is it a true currency in the sense that you could buy tangible stuff with it So the bitcoin or another cryptocurrency is the currency but then the question is what do you want to do with it first of all 
how do you get it? Uh, one way that you get it is if you're running one of these mining computers, which is validating the network. But these days, these require very powerful, specialized computers uh, to do this mining process uh, where you're, you're spending almost as much, or if you don't have a very powerful computer, much more uh, than if you actually would get in a reward. So the way the vast majority of people get Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies is they go to an exchange. And an exchange is just a privately run exchange. It's not on this decentralized consensus network. It's just a place that will exchange your dollars or some other currency for Bitcoin or Ether or XRP or some other cryptocurrency. Okay, so I guess in that sense you have somebody is is running like a supercomputer um, to do this and then they essentially sell out some of that um, effort that Not they're putting into it? thousands of people around the world they're, they're competing okay. so so you know the, the first thing to step back is again there's we got to keep in mind there's the blockchain technology which is the ledger it's the way that this gets recorded bitcoin has a particular way of operating to make that ledger secure which is what we're talking about now this is what's called proof of work there are other blockchain systems that use different mechanisms some of them don't even have a coin the, the, the systems that many companies are using for things like supply chain management have a decentralized ledger where it's trustworthy, where it's basically keeping track of things going on the network, where there's not actually something like money. But but to get back to Bitcoin, um, there's an open competition. Every 10 minutes or so, someone wins 12 and a half Bitcoin, which is you know something like fifty thousand dollars. And the way you win that competition is by trying to solve an arbitrary computational puzzle. It's it's basically a, a cryptographic puzzle it's designed so who wins is random um, but you can improve your chances of winning by using more and more processing power so people around the world although now increasingly it's concentrated in these large mining pools in places like china um, have pooled together you know, massive massive um, specially designed chips to compete in this lottery every 10 minutes to win that bitcoin so it's not one person that's in control they're, they're all vying for it but the thing is, by doing that, they secure the network. Because if you wanted to cheat the network, if you wanted to say, well, I'm going to put my own block on the network, which says the money goes to me, you would have to compete against the whole rest of the network. Uh, because all the machines verify the transactions as being accurate. So you've got to have as much power as something like 50% of the existing network, which is more than all the supercomputers in the world combined. Wow. This was used quite quite a bit for um, illegal purchases and purchases mm -hmm. that people didn't want to know, you know, like buying things, drugs or different things, and and on the on the dark web as they call it. Um, how do we trust that companies and other people are not going to use it the same way? No, that's a fantastic question, and that's you know one of the reasons that I wrote the book, and, and the reason the book's called the the blockchain, the new architecture of trust is that um, trust operates in many dimensions. So there's, can you trust that if I send a Bitcoin from here to there, that that was the accurate transaction? And, and again, this is not just about money. For example, you know, we had this massive romaine lettuce outbreak recently. One of the areas that blockchain technology is being used, for example, by Walmart, is to track through their supply chain uh, all of the leafy greens that uh, come from farms through their distribution network 
because if you can uh, check in at every point from the farm to the truck to the rail lines and so forth, how that moves, record that on that ledger, then it can be secure and you can be confident of it and know exactly what went from where to where in the same ways you can track money. So um, this is the basic approach that technology does. The problem that, that you're pointing out is it's all based on software. It's not based on governments. So what happens if someone wants to do an illegal transaction, use it to pay for drugs or use it for money laundering to, uh, or to move money out of countries that have controls on their currencies? And that's where law and regulation come into play. And I'm, I'm a, a legal scholar by training. I'm excited about the potential of this technology, but the point is for it to really take off, the, the blockchain and Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies themselves have to be trustworthy. And that's not going to happen if it's easy to use them for all these illegal activities. Um, and so what's started to happen is regulators around the world have developed mechanisms to cut down on and block and trace a lot of that illegal activity without necessarily eliminating the legitimate activity. There's, there's two main ways they do that. One is that on a public network like Bitcoin, not necessarily these enterprise networks, the public network like Bitcoin, all the transactions are transparent. So I can go in right now and, and point out every transaction that has ever been made on the Bitcoin network. I don't necessarily know who made them because it's a, a cryptographic private key. It's a string of letters and numbers. But there are clever ways to back that out and figure out who made it. So law enforcement has been able to actually trace these illegal activities. There was a big incident a few months ago. The um, <clears throat> Robert Mueller indicted several Russian hackers for uh, being involved in hacking the Democratic National Committee, and they used Bitcoin, <clears throat> excuse me, to uh, to buy some of their software. It was possible to trace back what they did on the Bitcoin blockchain because it was public. Um, so that's one piece, and the other piece is that there are these gateways. We talked about these exchanges. If you want to get access to cryptocurrency, you typically need to go through an exchange. That's a centralized agency. Those are increasingly being regulated around the world. And nowadays, if you want to go to a company like, say, Coinbase, um, which is one of the largest ones in the U.S., or Poloniex, one of these exchanges, and buy Bitcoin or cryptocurrency, they're going to go through the same know-your-customer process that you would go through with the bank. So that's going to allow tracing through the system. So how are we going to know and how are we going to trust? Because Bitcoin's gone up and down like a toilet seat. It's just been gone crazy. You know how it'll just mm -hmm. go real high, real low. Real... Where, where's stability? Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss.
Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Bloody there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, so that's a different kind of trust. And that's, you know, I, I hate to break it to you, but uh, I'm, I'm not going to make you rich. Um, at least uh, not if you weren't already going to get rich. Uh, I'm not going to predict uh, what the price is going to be of, of any of these cryptocurrencies. Uh, you know, these are speculative assets that people are trading on markets. Uh, they, are, they trade based on supply and demand. Um, there's very uh, limited what, what traders call liquidity. So small things will change the price a lot. There are also um, this process of regulation I'm talking about for the exchanges is not complete. So there are many exchanges outside the United States that appear to be engaging in fraudulent or manipulative behavior to pump up the price, to advantage certain actors. And regulators are starting to crack down on that, but they haven't fully. So there's a lot of things going on um, that are leading to these wild gyrations in the price. Um, and, uh, you know, still the, the price of Bitcoin, even as much as it's fallen, is, is way, way above what it was a couple of years ago. But, uh, yeah, I, you know, I have a couple hundred dollars of cryptocurrency, mostly for curiosity purposes, um, not because I think that it's necessarily going to go up that much uh, anytime soon. I'm much more interested in what can be done with the technology. But certainly anyone who, you know, wants to invest in, in any of these cryptocurrencies should diversify heavily, should understand as much as possible what they're investing in, why they actually think that the price is going to go up other than just, I heard from someone that this is a hot investment opportunity, um, and, you know, and should not invest more than they could comfortably afford to lose. So Al was sort of getting to the idea that, you know, there's trust in, um, is this currency going to hold value? But there's also trust in, are these networks being used to, um, I guess sell illegal things like drugs or or mm-hmm. be engaged in other illegal activities. Um, I think there's a positive aspect to that too, particularly with the drug issue. So places like Silk Road, uh, which is now shut down. I mean, I mean these currencies are sort of upending the monopoly that government has had on a lot of these things, and it's making many of their um, laws sort of obsolete or at least operating very much underneath them. I mean, do you see that this technology is sort of, I guess, sometime in the future making government itself obsolete? No, actually, I don't. And that's that's one of the core arguments that I take on in the book. Um, I think it's easy to say that. And, and at some level, on the blockchain network, things just execute. It's it's decentralized. And it's true that because it's decentralized, 
uh, it would be very difficult, uh, if not impossible, for a government to shut the whole thing down. You'd have to go and shut down all these computers all around the world. But that's really not what governments are trying to do. Um, there are lots of ways that governments can have their laws enforced. As I said, they regulate the on-ramps to these systems, the legitimate actors, the companies like Coinbase that are generating revenues, hoping to do IPOs, uh, employing people, um, you know, they uh, don't want to be associated with illegal transactions. Um, governments can track down the activity directly. Um, they also can go to the regulated financial system, to the traditional banks and so forth, and say, you may not do business with these organizations uh, unless they come into compliance. Um, and so there's no question that there will be some leakage. Um, you know, there are uh, places out there on the dark web where you can use Bitcoin to pay for illegal things, just like there are places out there on the dark web where you can get illegal uh, copies of movies in violation of copyright. All of that is really, for the most part, in places like the U.S., pretty small relative to the legal marketplace. And I think ultimately um, the question for government is how to make these things trustworthy. There, there's much, much more potential for them being used for traditional, established, legal financial activities, as well as all these other kinds of new applications um, than the potential people trying to circumvent laws with them. But do you think government really wants that? Do they want to bring them into the fold, or are they more interested in sort of squashing this technology because it's a... Um, it's 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 essentially smashing their monopoly on on legitimacy. No, absolutely. I mean, so of course one can't make a generalization about what every government agency everywhere in the world wants. Sure. Um, but no, I mean, I I you know I speak to a lot of government regulators uh, in this area um, globally, and no, they want to create good public policy benefits for their people. And so if there's ways to increase efficiency. If there's ways to overcome some of the costs, for example, in the legacy financial system, where uh, you know, banks and other kinds of traditional financial services firms you know, charge huge amounts that, that limit people's access to capital, um, if there are ways to provide more verification and trust to people so they can understand exactly what they're getting themselves into, um, and if governments can use this themselves, lots of governments are exploring, for example, recording land title, uh, things like real estate mortgages on a blockchain. It's actually a much more efficient system for them, uh, providing digital identities on a blockchain uh, to deal with uh, a lot of the security issues with identity theft. So, you know, governments have a mission, and they you know, will respond if the, the attempt is basically to undermine the rule of law but, um, you know, they will work with technologies that can achieve public policy goals. Um, and, and really, it's not, it's not such a stark contrast between government having a monopoly and, and not. Again, governments work with corporations, deal with the, the power of all kinds of different entities all the time. And sure, there, there are challenges out there, but, you know, the, the, the government actors I speak to, you know, are very curious, but they're doing a lot of time, spending a lot of time reaching out to these industries um, and saying, all right, how can we work together? Uh, and you've seen statements uh, from a lot of the major agencies, including international ones like the International Monetary Fund just a week or so ago put out something about governments issuing digital currencies. I think all that is really a positive development. Yeah, I think it is too. I just, I, I do get concerned because I think, 
you know, the trajectory of, of like cash has been that the government is getting more and more strict with, you know, how much you can have, what denominations they'll print, where you can go with it. I mean, I, I mean, there are issues just with local cops. If you get pulled over driving and they just think that you might be involved in a drug trade, they'll take all your cash and good luck getting it back. If you're flying in another country, there's only so much you're allowed yep. to have with you or else they'll confiscate it or tax it. So, I, I, I mean, it does make me curious, you know, that, that they're going to be that strict with cash but then allow this other system to sort of run on the side where – I would guess there would be much greater risk um, of the government not getting its share of, of the uh, value out of it. Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's generally a question of government getting its share. It's a question of government feeling like certain rules can be enforced. And you know, I'm not uh, you know trying to defend any specific implementation practices of, of local cops. No question that there are there are abuses at times. Um, but the issue is, you know, governments are concerned about money laundering. Um, that, that's why they require that uh, identification. If you have a native digital system where they actually have more ability to track what's going on, but users are still in control, the idea with cryptocurrency is you're, you've got the private key. It's a bearer instrument, just like cash. It's not something in a bank where the government can seize your bank account. Uh, if you've got the key, then, then you've got the money. Um, that actually is potentially much more empowering to people, mm-hmm. but there still need to be checks at the on-ramps to that system so that it doesn't just become an easy place for people to engage in you know, tax avoidance and, and money laundering and other kinds of illegal activity. Well, what do you consider the dangers then? Mm-hmm. The dangers, what, of the cryptocurrencies? Yeah. Yeah, well, so one, yeah, one issue is this, this, this question about it. If, if the regulators don't, uh, engage, then it can be used for this illegal activity. But I, I, I see that as a relatively small danger. The, you know, there is a downside to the fact that it is a bearer instrument. And, and basically blockchain networks use what are called smart contracts, which basically means every transaction is software code that's running on these distributed networks. It's running in parallel on all the machines in the network typically. And that code executes uh, what's called immutably. There's no one that has the power to reverse it. And so there's a problem if there's a mistake that gets made. So what, what happens, for example, if someone steals your keys? Or what happens if parties agree on a contract, but something goes wrong? There's a bug in the contract. It's, it's software. There can be bugs. Or some sort of misunderstanding that produces a result um, that, that's clearly wrong, where, where everyone would look at this and say, no, no, the, the money should be over here and not over there. The blockchain networks have no way of resolving that dispute because they are designed for this permanent, immutable execution. So uh, you know, there is possibility, and there have been all sorts of situations where literally billions of dollars have been stolen, there's been fraud, there have been cases where due to bugs, hundreds of millions of dollars of cryptocurrencies have been locked up where no one can get access to it. Through no one's fault, except um, through a software coding error. So you know, all of those are are problems. You can't run a trustworthy financial system uh, in that kind of environment. Um, and then, yeah, there is there is always the the possibility um, that this will become more a tool of control than a tool of decentralization. Uh, that's true not just with the money system. That's true with these uh, more uh, permission blockchain networks that enterprises use. 
Um, and so, you know, we have to look at how open the technology is. There's a whole variety of different platforms out there that have different capabilities and, and, and different kinds of affordances. So there are certainly dangers that this whole revolution will be perverted, um, but that's the, the process that's going on now of competition in the marketplace. And one, again, frankly, where I think the, you know, the, the regulators can uh, serve a positive role um, in saying, you know, we, we don't want this to necessarily become something that's just going to empower the rich. This truly should be something that gives freedom to everyone um, and Wow, that was very interesting. I, I really appreciate that you came by. I know that you're in a in a rush doing the tour. Um, again, we want to thank our guest, Kevin Warbach, and the book. It'll be on the website as well as all bookstores and Amazon, The Blockchain and the New Architect of Trust. To find out more about our show, guests, or to listen to past shows from our archive, please go to www.houseofmysteryradio.com. Show's over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Well, good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com. Show is over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Well, good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back.